When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is part of my Motherhood Around the Globe series, and today we chat with Sarah Baharehi. Sarah is a writer, teacher, wife, and mom. Once upon a time, she hopped on a plane to the Middle East with a one-way ticket in hand. She now lives in Turkey with her husband, Afshin, and daughter, Esther. She has a heart for humanitarian work, refugee aid, and relief, advocating on behalf of others, and writing down unseen stories. She writes about faith, immigration, and living in the in-between on her blog, onefootonboth.com, which I will list in the show notes. Today will be the last episode in my Motherhood Around the Globe series. I am putting it on hold to focus on some other things and will hopefully get it back up and running in the fall sometime. In the meantime, you can listen to my episodes that go live every Wednesday when it comes to motherhood meeting medicine. Let's get started. All right. Good afternoon, Sarah. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. So you are coming to us from Turkey, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that journey that brought you there because you were, you know, born and raised in the US, right? And now you're now you're living there. So tell us what happened. How did you get there? Yes. So I've been in Turkey for the last oh six years. Um, I originally came because there was an expat family who needed some help with childcare and some help homeschooling their children. And I have a background in education. And so I was 24 at the time, single, just thought it'd be cool to live overseas and Very cool. <laughs> yeah, and and teach some kids, use my background. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of I assumed it would be a short-term sort of thing. But then I met my now husband and we dated and got engaged and married in Turkey. Wow, that's so cool. So you basically moved there when you were 24. Right. Just as a job, you know, the family that you were working with wanted mm-hmm. you to move yeah. with them. Yeah, they were already there, but they had wanted help and I, I we had some mutual friends and yeah. yeah. What a cool opportunity. Yeah, yeah. It's re- it's really fun. So now uh, my husband my husband is from Iran and so we're both living and building a life in a country that's not our own. And we are currently working in refugee aid and relief. Turkey hosts the largest number of refugees in the world at like over 4 million, I believe. Oh, so cool. as you can imagine, there's a lot of need there. So we work in that area. And then, yeah, last last year we welcomed our first child. 
our daughter Esther, and she just turned one yesterday. Well, happy birthday, Esther. <laughs> yeah, <thanks. laughs> so how did you meet him specifically? Does he speak English? <laughs> yes, he does. He was a he's an English literature major in university. So yes, oh, wow. uh, we just met through mutual friends. Actually, the family that I was helping, the expat family, knew him, and we were introduced that way. Very, very <laughs> cool. And what made yeah. you both decide to reside in Turkey? Yeah, well, my husband actually is a refugee. He he fled Iran because of religious persecution. And okay. so we're waiting right now for his visa to come to the US. So that's why we're in Turkey. We're waiting. <laughs> ah, and then you'll come here. Yes, that's the plan. And where do you plan on going here? Do you guys know that yet? Or Oh, yeah, we'll probably land in um, my home state of North Dakota, but... We'll we'll see yeah. from there. We'll get here first, and then we'll yeah. see. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So cool. Okay. So you had Esther a year ago, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now were you at all like nervous to have like your first experience like with prenatal care and pregnancy and postnatal mm-hmm. care in a foreign country? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I didn't I didn't come to Turkey when I was twenty four thinking that I would be starting my family there. (laughs) So they're probably the opposite. Well, yeah, kind of. Yeah. (laughs) So there was a a time where my husband and I played around with the idea of me coming back to the States to give birth. But like I mentioned, Mm -hmm. my husband, he's, he can't leave Turkey unless he has a visa. And so that would mean him missing the birth. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a few months after that, I suppose Mm -hmm. too. And we just didn't want that to happen. So ultimately decided to, for me to give birth in Turkey. I have expat women in my community that had given birth there. And so I, I picked their brain and, and ultimately felt confident and comfortable giving birth there. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about uh, your prenatal care. Like how many appointments did you have? Mm-hmm. Did you have ultrasounds? Mm-hmm. How many? How was the prenatal care? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I first found out I was pregnant, I joined a like a Facebook, you know, baby bump group, all these women that are that are due at the same time. And most of the women in that group were from the US. So it was really interesting for me mm-hmm. to like compare because it's my first child. I didn't didn't have anything to compare right. it to. You didn't <laughs> I don't know what's normal or not. Right. So right. yeah. So yeah, I we I had I don't I don't know how many appointments I had. Upwards of ten, I would say. And I would say every appointment I had an ultrasound. Oh, <laughs> so I had actually I have, somebody else said that too. I think it was in. I think it was a German. The woman yeah. from who was in Germany. Yes, I was. I was listening yeah. to that episode too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have like this box full of ultrasound pictures of like my cervix, and like I just, I just have. I don't know what to do with them. It's kind of like that, like um, Oprah Winfrey meme, where she's like, "You get a car, you get a car. Like you get an ultrasound. <laughs> like I just always have, they always offer yeah. ultrasounds. So yeah. got lots of those. Let's see. I'm trying to think of what else was like different. I didn't do a a group. B strep test. I know that was something that in the US women do. Okay. The last month of my pregnancy, I had to come in each week and do a non-stress test. Even yeah. though I was a low-risk textbook pregnancy, they still, that was just kind of something that they did. Other than that, I'm trying to think. In Turkey or in this this part of the world, talking about weight is like not like it people just talk about weight. It's not taboo like it is here in the US. And so I like I would get weighed at all my appointments and like the nurse would, you know, help me on the scale and she would like shout my mm-hmm. weight over to the doctor across the office mm-hmm. and then like the doctor would like repeat it back and then she'd tell me like how much weight I gained and like so that was, you know, You're just like, okay, yeah, thank you. Right. <laughs> yeah. That was something that was a little different, but other than that, yeah, I would say prenatal from what I could compare it to is 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 comparative to the US and other parts of the world. And you didn't find anything during that time to be like, you know, more difficult or easier for you, like, you know, 
you didn't mm-hmm. have to get hospitalized or anything during your pregnancy or anything like that. No, no, I had a, I had a pretty easy pregnancy. I was pretty blessed with yeah. that. So yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. It's time to give birth. Now walk us mm-hmm. through this. Do you give birth at home? Do you give birth in the hospital? Mm-hmm. Do you give birth in a birth center? Is it with a midwife and OBGYN? How's the room set up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me just like put a disclaimer out there that Turkey is relatively large, a relatively large country. And so there is a lot of like diversity depending on where you are in the country. Mm-hmm. Big cities are pretty modernized and mm-hmm. but there also are very are lots of parts of the country that are not and are still more developing for lack of a better word, the rural kind of parts. And I mm-hmm. I'm in a rural part, my husband and I. However, mm-hmm. I chose to give birth in a private hospital and so that experience probably is not typical of women in my area who choose to give birth mm-hmm. in the public hospital. So I just want to say that just it just really depends on where you are but mm-hmm. to answer your question by and large people give birth in in turkey in hospitals public or private and mm-hmm. the hospital setting is pretty medicalized is that i don't know i can't really think of the right word but definitely lots of interventions and I'll, if i get to the point mm-hmm. of sharing my birth story i'll i'll share how how that all happened but mm-hmm. um as far as i know birth centers are not they do not exist in turkey and mm-hmm. I don't think there are many doctors who are very comfortable with, uh, you know, natural, vaginal, non-medicated types of births. I haven't not really come across. Oh, really? yeah. It's it's pretty. I don't. I keep saying the word medicalized. I'm not sure what the right word would be, but. So there are they? Are you just saying that they're more, like they're fast to like do a C-section or? Yeah, Turkey has like, the highest C-section rate in the world, I believe. It's one really? out of every two births end in C-section. What? So we can talk about that because <gasps> yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that I'm not kidding mm. you. The hair on my arms just yeah. stood up. I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, specifically for you though, as a first-time mom, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I guess I would just have been so nervous going into that, just knowing like, oh gosh, you know, like just the not knowing like what, where on the spectrum you would be, you know? Right, right. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. That's that's very interesting. So before we kind of go into that a little bit more, how is the hospital room specifically set up? Like, do they have mm-hmm. just a bed? Is there a birthing tub? Are there tons of like apparatuses that you can use? <laughs> For me personally, no, it was just a bed and I was hooked up to, so I was induced, which I'll talk about that too. But so I was, I was hooked up to an IV the whole time. So I, I labored on my back pretty much. I was able to maneuver onto a yoga ball. I found, I remember like when I walked into the birthing unit, I remember seeing like this one lone yoga ball somewhere in the hallway. <laughs> so I had someone go and get it for me. So I was able to, to, you know, bounce around on yoga ball for a little bit, but, but um, yeah, there's no, there's no tubs. There's no, it, yeah, it's a bed. Because fifty percent of births end in C sections anyway, so there's just not really anything for natural births. Okay, so do you know why that is? Like, why? Yeah, there's probably a lot of factors. And again, this is I think from my research and other stories I've heard, most C sections happen in private hospitals. In the public hospital, at least Mm -hmm. where I live, the public hospital I don't think even has access to epidurals. So they do, you know, unmedicated Mm -hmm. births, but it's it's not. There's nothing to help the women there as, as far as I can, I'm, I know, but. So if they needed a C-section, what would they that's do? A, did they, maybe they yeah. do C-sections also at, oh, well, actually that's, that's, yeah. If they don't have epidurals, I don't know. Like transfer oh. them to, to another hospital. Mm. That's a good question. Sorry. I'm, I don't yeah. know that one. No, I mean, it, no, it's yeah. totally fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So in private hospitals, they happen more in private hospitals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what? Yeah. Our room just, just had the bed and I just labored in 
in bed. There was not much else besides that one yoga ball. So <laughs> what? Ha- okay, so you got into. So tell mm-hmm. us about that whole. Tell us like a little bit about like leading up to mm-hmm. the day, and then just a you know just a brief little. Sure. Synopsis of yeah, yeah, of course. So my water broke um, early in the morning. I was over a week early, which I just totally thought I would go late for some reason. So Mm. we went to the hospital. The hospital. So I chose to give birth, like I mentioned, at a private hospital, and that was over an hour away. And so we just decided to get to the hospital already because yeah, I just didn't know know what my body would do once my water broke. Right. So got to the hospital and. Right away, so my provider checked me, my OB, and my body was not in labor. Like nothing was happening in my body. And so right away, she said, okay, let's get you started on Pitocin. (laughs) Because for her, like she, once the water broke, she only felt comfortable leaving that for 12 hours. She wanted the baby out within 12 hours. Um, So right away, I kind of felt like I was on the clock and Mm -hmm. felt this pressure. So I had a doula with me and she was able to convince my OB to give us like a couple hours, like just let's see if my body Mm -hmm. does something. And Turkey is a what's called a high power distance culture. And so you you don't really question people that are in authority. Like so to to even say that to a doctor, like, hey, actually let's do this instead. Is this not culturally mm. normal? But thankfully our OB, she mm. had assisted births with other expats. And so I think she kind of knew a little bit. And so she she worked with us as best as she could within her culture. And so and so she gave us a couple hours, but of course my my body mm. after a couple hours, nothing happened. And so was on Pitocin right away. And then, you know, as, you know, what what is it called? Cascade of interventions as that goes. My head really, you know, strong contractions mm-hmm. one after the other. So then I asked for an epidural, got the epidural, which was great, but it slowed down my progress. And I only made it, you know, by the 12 hour mark, I think I only made it to maybe five centimeters. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. And so she, my OB was just like really anxious to, to get the baby out, even though the baby was fine. I mean, I, everybody was, we were all fine, <laughs> but she just really wanted the baby out. And so then it, yeah, it ended in a C-section. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's so crazy. So I wonder what it is. I don't know. Is there something I'm just trying to figure out why, mm-hmm. what, what is it with the 12 mm-hmm. hours? I'm just so confused. Yeah. I, I don't know if that was like her personal, like, policy or if it's if it's across the board. I know like as a culture, my husband is not from Turkey, but he's from similar culture. Yeah. And like they just have a fear of seeing people in pain and in d- discomfort. And like mm-hmm. so doctors and you know like like why would you let this woman, poor woman who has Pitocin and <laughs> is in pain, mm-hmm. like why would you just prolong that if we can just do one little cut and get her open? Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of the mindset. Mm-hmm. Also as far as you were talking about why there was high C-section rates. I think another thing too is that there's just not a lot of education for women about what happens to their bodies when they go into labor. And so there's there's a lot of fear and unknown. Mm. And so C-sections are pretty, I don't know, they haven't been around super long in Turkey, I think from what I understand. And so it's it's seen as like a, a modern kind of almost luxury. And I know women like in my generation, they will hear these horror stories from their moms, grandmas, aunties, of giving birth without medicine, without a C-section, without epidurals. And it's like horror stories. It's spoken of in just like absolute horrors. And so mm. they hear that and are so afraid and think, well, okay, I'll just get a C-section then, right? Like what, just bypass all of that then. And so I think that's part of it too. There's just a lot of fear right. and not maybe a lot of education about what's what happens to a woman. And it's not it's not spoken of in an empowering type of way, I think. Right. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So you get the C-section and how long were you in the hospital for? We were there for two days. 
And this was during COVID, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a whole other <laughs> layer to it. But yes, mm-hmm. I didn't have to um, labor with with a mask on. My husband and my doulas could be in the room with me, so they were. Oh, well, that's yeah. well. That's more than that's more than I got. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So okay, so you go home. And you're a first time mom, so you're pretty clueless, right? right yes, still am. So, <laughs> so what happens from here? Like, when is your first, you know, postpartum appointment? Mm-hmm. Do you have any care that's, you know, given to you to, you know, learn how to breastfeed or, mm-hmm. you know, any of that? We see in the hospital, there were nurses. I don't know if they were necessarily like lactation consultants, consultants, or if they were just, they were nurses, but they would come in and check nursing, how nursing okay. was going every time they would offer a uh, formula. I know that, <laughs> but oh, really? yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but thankfully oh, okay. I'm lucky that my, my baby figured it out pretty quickly. And so it, it wasn't like any pressure for yeah. me, but once we were discharged, uh, I had an appointment maybe like four days after she was born on a Monday. And I think I had to go back that following Friday and I got an ultrasound, like my last ultrasound. <laughs> and then I got, and then my, my OB told me how to take care of my incision Yeah, and that was it. Sent me on my way. <laughs> I had no other information given to me and never saw her since. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I think that's typical uh, of Turkish women's experience. I think women get a lot of their postpartum knowledge from their moms and sisters and and the women in their, in their community rather than the doctor. Huh? Yeah. That's so, it's so interesting going from, you know, a conversation I just had this morning with a German, a German citizen saying, you know, she had, she's also a midwife, which was very interesting. Mm, And they had unlimited amount of postpartum appointments where the midwife goes to the house. So like if you, for some reason needed, I don't know if you were having excessive bleeding or you were having issues breastfeeding or whatever the issue is, like Mm -hmm. it's just automatically paid for by the government. And you just, yeah, she was like, Oh, I go to some people's houses every day. That's so great. Yeah. Going to the houses. I remember my, that first appointment I had to like, you know, hobble, I was like hobbling bent over (laughs) down the hallway of the hospital, you know, like just had my stomach cut open, you know, and had to get out there. So yeah. Wow. Wow. That's just, that's wild. And so, and here you are a year later, you made it. (laughs) Yeah. Have a happy, healthy baby. And yeah, we're all okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what matters. All right. So that's your story. Now, is there okay? So let's go through some of the other things here. So have you? And I know it's a little bit tough with COVID. Obviously, things have changed, you know, worldwide. But do you feel like I know you said that they do like offer formula with every feeding? But did you feel like breastfeeding was encouraged? Like, did they talk about it before baby was here? Did they offer you help like throughout the visit? And do you often see people nursing in public there, or is that not something people do there? Let me see. I don't know what the percentage is of breastfeeding moms versus other ways. I definitely don't see women breastfeeding in public. I think, I mean, Turkey is a, as a majority is a Muslim culture. And so I think that probably plays into that as well. It's, you know, kind of something that's done at home, mm-hmm. even with a cover. I am never, I I've done that, but I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm a foreigner. So I feel like I can, I don't know, get away with that a little bit more, but like, I've never seen local women nurse in public. That could be different in larger, more modern, modern cities. I'm again, mm-hmm. I'm in a more rural, more religious kind of area. So that, that could just be my, mm-hmm. my experience as well. But I, there was no education before giving birth or after about breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. I had to go back to the hospital a week later because my baby was jaundice. 
And, and so we were there, you know, she was under the, the, under the lights for an hour or sorry, for a day, 24 hours. Mm. And I remember one of the nurses looked at my, my chest and she was like, that's not good. She saw my, how like engorged I was, which I didn't know that. I don't know. I, my milk had just come in. And so she helped me. She brought in a pump and she helped me pump and get some relief and stuff like that. So that's the only mm. like really hands-on help I got from the Turkish medical staff. You know, I had, I had doulas who mm. are also, they're expat women. And so they, they helped me with those types of things. So, and you might not know this just because it, it might not have been part of your experience, but do you know, you know, if, if the woman is working, like what their maternity leave is like there? Yes. I believe from what I have read, it's 16 weeks of maternity leave, I believe. And I think part of that is before the baby is born. Maybe half oh, of really? that. Yes. Okay. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's as far as I know. I don't know how, what that's like in practice, but I know from what I've yeah. researched, that's, that's what the national maternity leave is. Yeah. So interesting. So now your baby's one. How, what have you been doing to socialize your baby? Do you guys go to parks? Do you go? Yeah. Like, I mean, I know again, COVID, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. makes everything a little bit more complicated. Turkey's been, I mean, we've been under restrictions on and off or lockdowns even on and off for the last year. And even for the month of May, we've, we were in a month, we were in a full lockdown for three weeks. And so that makes mm-hmm. And what's yes. a full lockdown in Turkey? Like what does that, that mean? means that we cannot leave our house for those three weeks only. So every neighborhood has like a little bakery and a little market and we can walk to those places during a certain hour each day of those lockdowns. But other than that, we cannot leave our homes. <laughs> and they, and do they actually uphold that? Like, do they, are they, I mean, yeah, that? I think I would say towards the end, people got a little more lax with it and, and the police officers maybe didn't enforce it so much, but I, for the most part, yeah, I mean, people were in their homes. I mean, it was quiet. So yeah. 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 So yeah, you're asking about socializing. Yeah. We have a pretty large expat community in our area. And so, and I have a couple other friends who gave birth within like six weeks of my child. And so we, we socialize with them. Turkey, one of the, one of the cool things about Turkey is they're very, they just love children. So even like the old woman down the street mm-hmm. or the 14 year old boy, like they will stop and you know, ooh and ah over a baby. And so that's been kind of nice. So like going to like restaurants and things like Mm. that is really no pressure. Waiters love babies. Their faces light up. They'll pick them up. They'll play with them. And so that's been really nice actually to not feel like we're a nuisance or a burden when we're out. Right. Yeah. That's wonderful. I mean, I know your, your baby is young, but are the playgrounds there typical playgrounds like they are here in the U S or are they a little bit different? Yeah, no. Yeah, they do. Actually, we have lots of playgrounds. Every neighborhood probably has some sort of play equipment and right. My baby's one, so she mm-hmm. can go on like the baby swings, I suppose. That's right. About it. But, but yeah. And I think lots of women gather there with their children again, when we're not on lockdown, but yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. So generally speaking, you think that, you know, the society there is, is really accepting of children in public places. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. I've, I've noticed that a lot. It's a, a collectivist society versus like individual society. And so they definitely have this, it takes a village type of mindset mm-hmm. um, when it comes to children. Sometimes that can feel kind of strange. Like it's like the other day, not the other day, this was a few months ago, I was walking my baby in her stroller and an old man came up and like stopped me and stopped the stroller and reached into the stroller and like readjusted her blanket so that she was warmer. <laughs> it was in the springtime. And so, yeah, in the US, that would be very like violating. Oh, and yeah. I, mean, I, I, you would, know? I would even argue that some people might call the police. Oh, yeah. Right? An old, I mean, older gentleman. I know. <laughs> yeah. But here, that's a, that, that wasn't an attack on me personally as a mom. Like he's just looking out for 
babies and making sure they're healthy and warm. And that's just actually really that's just how it is. Yeah, it is. And once you realize that, it you know, it's yeah. You're probably in the moment you're like, wait, wait, what? what? Yeah, like, yeah, but that's yeah, it's it's normal. <laughs> Has anything like have you had any other you know incidents like that that mm-hmm. kind of caught you off guard? Like mm-hmm. that would never really happen here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, just just that like personal space is much smaller. So it's normal for like I was at a hotel and the receptionist saw my baby and she came out from her desk and like picked up my baby and like carried her off, <laughs> you know, like, and I know like they're, oh. they're, it's fine. Like it's not stranger danger. Like she was just, she just loved babies and that's just how it is. It's normal to pinch yeah. baby's cheeks and give them hugs and kisses. And obviously that feels a little bit awkward yeah. with COVID stuff, you know, like what's the line, but <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's normal here. You know, I mentioned the like weight subject too. Like it was super oh, yeah. normal. Some, a woman commented how I, I was fat after like three weeks of, after giving birth. <laughs> And it doesn't mean like it's not it's not an offensive thing here in this culture. She was just like making a comment, and I was like, "You're right." Which is she saying? I, I just gave You're birth, right. so uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just not seen as a, a negative thing. Uh-huh. So so there's and like, how did she word it? She was just like, Cut, "Yeah, I mean, thankfully, like, like I, my Turkish isn't wonderful, and so it all kind of like filters through like my husband or whoever else is there. So it doesn't like land as hard, <laughs> you know, as if she was saying it in English, but okay. still like." You know, like Oh, okay. Yeah. I have gained weight. I don't know. Oh my gosh. Anyway. That's, that is just, that's wild. Yeah. All right. What else? What else can we talk about? So do you, what about baby wearing? Do they, mm-hmm. have you seen like a lot of moms baby wearing around? No, maybe again, again, maybe in the bigger cities, I yeah. probably would see that that's getting to be more popular, the ring slings and things like that. I think where I am though, or for maybe most of Turkey, I feel like they very much want to stick to the status quo and not stand out. and so. Baby wearing is not really common here. And so women are just not going to do it because Mm -hmm. that's just not what other women do, you know? So they just put their babies in in strollers is what I've seen the most of. But I I wear my baby every once in a while too, but. Yeah. Now, do you have like, as far as, you know, getting all the latest and greatest like baby gadgets for your kid, (laughs) do you have like access to get those things over in Turkey or you just use like what they have at the store there or what? What's that like? Thankfully, I think on like their online market has like really exploded just in the last few years. So you really can if I'm if I want to pay a lot of money, I can get a brand that I would like. It's usually way more expensive mm. than it would be in the US. Mm. Otherwise, I just bring stuff back or my parents, you know, send things in the mail. I sent a whole box of sleep sacks once because I just couldn't find any sleep yeah. sacks here. So yeah, I would say by and by and large, you, you can find exactly what you need here. Thank, thank goodness. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you said you were, you know, close with the expat community there and, you know, mm-hmm. they probably, at least some of them have, have children. Do they have any children that are in the schooling system there? Yeah, they all kind of do different things. Yes. Yeah, so there's public school and there, there are kids that are expat kids who are in there. There's Turkish okay. private school. And then in the bigger cities, there's international schools as well. There isn't one in our area, mm-hmm. but yes, I have, I have friends that have had kids in both or all of those options. Oh, yes. Interesting. So mm-hmm. have they told you like what exactly the schooling mm-hmm. is like, like whether it's, you mm-hmm. know, public or private? Uh, I know public in my area, again, this is just my rural kind of area is not wonderful mm-hmm. from what I understand. And it's pretty tough. Teachers are pretty tough. Kids are pretty tough. And so I know like our expat friends, kids have had hard time there. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had friends that have put their kids in the private Turkish schools. Everything's taught in Turkish by Turkish teachers and they've had a more positive experience. 
with with families and, and the children. I mean, they're just learning in Turkish. There's no right. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no. I know. So I know. Right. I so, know. Right. Like, the family that you that were way. you were with, they were primarily homeschooling. Right. So then, so then there are some families that just choose to homeschool and just keep their kids at home. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yep. So we did that. And now if, if a family wanted to send them to public or private, do they have to pay? Oh man, that's a good question. I not uh, public. I don't think so. Private. Yes. And I, I think it's, it's quite a bit. Yeah. I don't think public, uh, that's a good question for foreigners. I don't think so because it's public. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that's all I have for you. Well, this was so cool though. It's been really great yeah. talking with with people that just have all these very, very different experiences. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've been listening to a few of those episodes. Every Everyone is so different. Yeah. It's great. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your yeah, day to chat with us. Yes. I love Share that. your story. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.